My concern is instead of bringing a bill that will feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick, we're instead mandating that people put up a poster. A religion that has to force people to put up a poster to prove its legitimacy is a dead religion. Of course things are getting better, even as they're getting worse. I'm talking internationally now, but on the whole, the progress uh, is in our direction. A friend of mine, when he was 14, was sat down by his mother in the kitchen. She said, I've got something to tell you, dear. You're gay. <laughs> This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine, I'm Greg Gordon. Challengers test the constitutionality of Uganda's Kill the Gays law. A devout Texas Democrat rebukes Bible bangers with the good book. And how Sir Ian celebrated the demise of Section 28. Those stories and more this week because you found This Way Out. I'm Michael Taylor Gray. And I'm Kaylin Hartman. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending December 9th, 2023. Uganda's infamous Anti-Homosexuality Act 2023 is being challenged in the nation's constitutional court. To ensure the speediest resolution of the case, the challengers agreed this week to consolidate all four petitions against the act filed by 19 groups and individuals. They contend that the law is discriminatory, unconstitutional, and a violation of fundamental human rights. Longtime President Yawiri Museveni signed the law in May. It punishes some forms of private consensual adult same-gender sex with death. It also requires citizens of the East African nation to report suspected LGBTQ people to the police. The challengers specifically cite Article 92 of Uganda's Constitution, which prohibits Parliament from passing a law that contradicts the country's judiciary. A constitutional court ruling overturned a similar Anti-Homosexuality Act enacted in 2014. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced an expansion of a visa restriction policy targeting Ugandan officials complicit in actions aimed at repressing members of marginalized or vulnerable populations. Speaker of Uganda's parliament, Anita Among, may well fall into that category. She vowed to defend the anti-queer laws with our blood, sweat, and souls. She told Ugandans who disagree to leave our country and go to live in the United Kingdom or the United States. Scotland's Gender Recognition Reform Bill lost round one of its fight for life against the government of British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Expect a protracted legal fight that will eventually land in the UK's Supreme Court. The Court of Session in Edinburgh ruled this week that Sunak's Tory government does have the legal right to block the Scottish legislation from taking effect. No conclusion was offered about the merits of the bill itself. Scottish lawmakers passed the Gender Recognition Reform Bill a year ago by an overwhelming vote of 86 to 39. It provides for Scottish rather than UK registrars to oversee the application process. Trans Scots would no longer need a medical declaration of gender dysphoria. They would only have to live their transition genders for a matter of months rather than two years to change the gender marker on their legal documents. 
For the first time, it allows 16 and 17-year-olds to apply. Sunak's administration used Section 35 of the Scotland Act for the first time ever. The UK can act if it believes that Scottish legislation would create jurisdictional confusion and have an adverse effect on the operations of the laws. In this case, the concern was the impacts upon the Equality Act 2010, specifically removing safeguards on the safety of women and girls and the potential for an increased risk of fraudulent applications. To Scottish Social Justice Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville, the Sunak government seems to intentionally be fueling sentiment in her country to separate from the United Kingdom. She questioned its efforts to override the democratic wishes of the Scottish Parliament and veto our laws at the stroke of a pen. Queer advocacy groups in Jordan are being shuttered and several activists have been forced to flee the country. Human Rights Watch is sounding the alarm about reported threats of violence and unwarranted arrests and prosecution by the General Intelligence Department and Public Security Directorate. The Global Watchdog Organization claims that the anti-queer persecution is intended to muzzle public conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in the Middle Eastern nation. The Guardian first recounted the uptick in harassment in August. Jordan is one of the few countries in the Arab world that does not officially criminalize same-gender sex. Colonial-era British buggery laws were repealed there in 1951. Social pressure alone has kept most queers deeply closeted. Close to 95% of Jordanians believe homosexuality to be immoral, and 94% would not want to have an LGBTQ person living near them according to a recent World Values survey. The Global Queer Rights website, Equaldex, ranks Jordan 142nd out of 197 countries, making it one of the most dangerous places to be LGBTQ in the world. In the U.S. state of Wisconsin, Democratic Governor Tony Evers has vetoed a bill to outlaw gender-affirming health care for young trans people. The legislation passed in October by the Republican-majority legislature prevents trans young people from accessing reversible puberty blockers and hormone treatments. It also bans gender-affirming surgeries for trans minors, which is rarely, if ever, considered. Republican-run state governments love bills like that, but they contradict the recommendations of virtually every professional pediatric, medical, and psychiatric organization in the United States. Evers has repeatedly said that he would reject any anti-queer proposals that reach his desk, so his December 4th veto was not a surprise. In his veto message, he warned that a trans youth healthcare ban harms LGBTQ people and kids' mental health, emboldens anti-LGBTQ hate and violence, and threatens the safety and dignity of LGBTQ Wisconsinites. Wisconsin requires a two-thirds vote in both the Assembly and Senate to override, The Republican majorities are not nearly that large, so Evers' veto is likely to stand. All materials in public school libraries and classrooms are forms of government speech and not a forum for free expression, according to the administration of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. State Attorney General Ashley Moody's brief and lawsuits challenging book bans in two school districts claims public school systems, including their libraries, convey the government's message. 
Her chilling assertions about the government's First Amendment rights are being echoed by lawyers for the school boards in Escambia and Lake Counties, defendants in the lawsuits. Authors, educators, and student plaintiffs are joined by the free expression writers group Pen America and the nation's largest publisher, Penguin Random House. They argue that the school board bans violate students' First Amendment rights to access information and unconstitutionally target books by or about the lives of people of color and or LGBTQ people. The views of several other First Amendment authorities were expressed in USA Today by Ken Paulson, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University. In his words, there's considerable irony in that those who seek to limit access to books in school libraries often say they're fighting for parental rights. If government speech determines what books can be in the library, the government is essentially saying your children can only see the ideas that the government has approved. That's not parental rights. That's authoritarianism. Finally, they know how to throw a good tailgate party in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and just who to throw one for. The school district's building parking lot was the setting prior to the swearing-in of the area's newly elected school board. Banning LGBTQ content books and restricting queer-positive policies in local schools had rocketed the outgoing far-right board into the national headlines. Sanity was restored when all of the wacko right-wing candidates supported by the book-banning hate group Moms for Liberty lost in the last elections. Cheers and applause erupted in the packed meeting room as each new board member was sworn in. They promptly set about overturning every anti-queer policy and order issued by their predecessors. As if to stick it to the moms, newly elected school board president Karen Smith was sworn in not on a Bible, but on a stack of banned books. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending December 9th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm Kaylin Hartman. Stay safe. Good news. Good news. Ain't that good news? Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out and chair of Overnight Productions, Inc., the parent nonprofit organization that operates this weekly program, free to non-commercial radio stations worldwide since April 1st of 1988. We are one step closer to preserving our collection through digitizing old reel-to-reel tapes and cassette tapes and entering them in the research catalogs at UC Santa Barbara, Libraries, Special Collections, and the Library of Congress. We are already engaged with the Radio Preservation Task Force Gender and Sexuality Caucus at the Library of Congress to create projects to include the collection in research projects for university media and gender studies courses. If you would like to know more about this project or become involved, please email us at info at thiswayout.org. Here's to queer history.
one Sunday morning, I went to Notting Hill Gate, where uh, Michael Hard lives with a very attractive uh, ex-model and their two beautiful young daughters. Uh, and, and after he'd spent a quarter of an hour explaining to me why, why it was inappropriate that people like me should be spoken of in a positive way in schools and that the promotion of homosexuality in, in any form was uh, now verboten, uh, he asked me before I left, would I mind signing the autograph books of his little children? <laughs> a timeless message from Gandalf, later in the program. shalt not believe that all of the faithful are coming from the same place. A Democrat in the Texas state legislature is a professed Christian in a sea of Republican Christian nationalists. Representative James Tellerico took a stand against the bill that would require that the Ten Commandments be posted in all public school classrooms. His biblically-based rebuke of Representative Candy Noble went viral. Representative Noble, I know you're a a devout Christian, and so am I. This bill, to me, is not only unconstitutional, it's not only un-American, I think it is also deeply unchristian. And I say that because I believe this bill is idolatrous, I believe it is exclusionary, and I believe it is arrogant. And those three things, in my reading of the gospel, are diametrically opposed to the teachings of Jesus. You probably know Matthew 6-5, when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. A religion that has to force people to put up a poster to prove its legitimacy is a dead religion. And it's not one that I want to be a part of. It's not one that I think I am a part of. My concern is instead of bringing a bill that will feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick, we're instead mandating that people put up a poster. And we both follow a teacher, a rabbi, who said, don't let the law get in the way of loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is the most important law. It is the summation of all the law and all the prophets. I would submit to you that our neighbor also includes the Hindu student who sits in a classroom, the Buddhist student who sits in a classroom, and an atheist student who sits in a classroom. And my question to you is, does this bill truly love those students? Every time on this committee, um, that we try to teach students values like empathy or kindness. We're told we can't because that's the parents' role. Every time on this committee that we try to teach basic sex education to keep our kids safe, we're told that's the parents' role. But now you're putting religious commandments, literal commandments, in our classrooms, and you're saying that's the state's role. Why is that not the parents' role? That, that's really an interesting rabbit trail that you've gone on with that. Would you be comfortable with adding language to receive uh, parental consent from all the parents of students in the classroom before putting it up? 
I, I would not. I am, again, going to keep it clean as it came over. So you don't want parental consent when it comes to students receiving religious commandments? I don't believe that. I, again, I think that these are foundational to, 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 being a good, um, to being a good citizen. Do you believe schools are for education and not indoctrination? Absolutely. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is why is having a rainbow in a classroom considered indoctrination and not having the Ten Commandments in a classroom? Is that a question? Yes. I, I am not arguing another poster. I'm arguing this, that this, that the Ten Commandments are represented, represented in our earliest education system. I just worry this is what gives us religious people a bad name, that instead of living out the way of Jesus, we're instead imposing our beliefs on other people. Instead of leading by example, we're leading by mandates. And so I'm very offended by this legislation. I know you and I have worked together, and I'm not casting aspersions on you, and I would love to work with you. Uh, but it, as it is currently written, I find this to be a deeply offensive bill. To post the Ten Commandments in public school classrooms failed, but Texas State Representative James Tallarico's bold rebuttal has won millions of views on social media. Hello, this is the actor Michael Emerson. I play Ben on Lost. It's not easy being one of the others, so if time travel or moving the island isn't an option and you're feeling sort of lost, try listening to Greg and Lucia on This Way Out. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank, Thank you. you. The repeal of the UK's notorious law, Section 28, and the premiere in Wellington, New Zealand of Lord of the Rings Return of the King made mid-December 2003 a joyous season indeed for world-renowned actor-activist Sir Ian McKellen. Section 28 prohibited what it called the promotion of homosexuality in schools, the original Don't Say Gay. Sir Ian greeted the news of its demise while he was in Wellington to celebrate the final installment of director Peter Jackson's epic movie trilogy. Hugh Young of Access Radio's Gay BC recorded his remarks to an LGBTQ gathering at Premier House. With the time-traveling wisdom of the wizardly Gandalf, the always entertaining storyteller discussed steps forward and back in the march toward liberation, and even reflected on a trip to Florida. Last week, we finally got rid of Section 28, which is how Stonewall came back. I'm glad you're enthusiastic, but you know, there it was sitting for 12 years like a rotten apple on the 
constitutional tree, and, and finally it's been shaken down. Uh, and uh, the man who saw it through uh, the House of Commons under Mrs. Thatcher, who did her bidding on that particular issue when he was the Minister for Local Government, that man, uh, Michael Howard, is now the leader of the Conservative Party, therefore the leader of the opposition, and we look forward to see what change might have occurred uh, in his mind during the last 20 years. Well, I, I went to speak to him one day at home, thinking in my uh, euphoria of having come out and, and, and thinking that life was all so simple now, all you had to do was to explain the situation to a politician, and it would immediately be put right. Well, it doesn't work like that, does it? And... Uh, so one Sunday morning, I went to Notting Hill Gate, where uh, Michael Hard lives with a very attractive uh, ex-model and their two beautiful young daughters. Uh, and, and after he'd spent a quarter of an hour explaining to me why, why it was inappropriate that people like me should be spoken of in a positive way in schools and that the promotion of homosexuality in, in any form was uh, now verboten, uh, he asked me before I left, would I mind signing the autograph books of his little children? <laughs> and, uh, so I simply put in the uh, album, uh, you know, kids, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> well, you say I'm an international figure. Uh, well, I, I do travel, that's true. Uh, and uh, I was at a, a, a meeting um, in, in Florida where, where the foundation of lesbian uh, gay people uh, were gathered together, their big fundraiser. Uh, and had invited me over, and, uh, you know, when you're feeling a little bit down as to whether your own government is doing quite enough work, when you um, take things rather personally, it, it is sometimes very good to have the overview, you know, and to know what's happening around the world, and to see that, of course, things are getting better, even as they're getting worse. I mean, you, we, 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 we march forward and we slide back a little bit. I'm talking internationally now, but on the whole, the, uh, the progress uh, is in our direction. But there in Florida, I met Wayne LaRue-Smith and Daniel Scarhan, uh, two uh, men in, in, in their 30s who, over the last 10 years, have, have fostered 17 uh, homeless uh, children uh, and currently have two uh, living with them, a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they wanted to adopt. And they happen to live in the one state in the United States where adoption by gay people is illegal. So they're case is now up with the Supreme Court of uh, Florida, and uh, they're not uh, expecting success, which will mean that the six-year-old, who's been living with them now for 18 months and settled down with them, will be taken back into public care and put into a home where, with other uh, orphans. <coughs> uh, this is thought to be uh, a moral society. And at the same table uh, as them, there was a lad of 16 who had just been expelled from his secondary school because he'd come out to his friends there. This is in the United States of America, in, in the state run by the president's brother. It, it's, I, I was sitting next to a, a man, partial, it's true, uh, to the uh, Democratic Party because he's their treasurer. He said that he thought the next election in the United States for presidency was, was the most crucial that he could remember because if it were lost, uh, and Bush were to be re-elected, he thought the notion of, of the United States as a, as a theocracy uh, was, was getting closer and closer with uh, the president's ability to put uh, new people, or rather old people, on the uh, Supreme Court, uh, and his own constant reference to the almighty 
uh, as he goes charging off to war. Uh, it's, a, it's a worrying case. Um, However, in Massachusetts, you know, uh, the Supreme Court there uh, decides that it's okay for, for gays to get uh, uh, some sort of uh, marriage. And uh, I don't know, I suppose, like me, you, you read this on the internet, but it, it did amuse me, uh, with reference to the consecration of Gene Robinson as Bishop of the New Hampshire Diocese of the Anglican Communion. Um, the note on the internet says that this is an affront to Christians everywhere. I, I, I'm just thankful, uh, says the note, that the church's founder, uh, King Henry VIII, and his wife, Anne Catherine of Aragon, <laughs> and his wife, Anne Boleyn, <laughs> and his wife, Jane Seymour, <laughs> and his wife, Anne of Cleves, and, and his wife, Catherine Hyde, and indeed his wife, Catherine Parr, are no longer here to suffer. <laughs> to suffer this assault on the sanctity of traditional Christian marriage. Um, it's, uh, of course, important to change the laws, and that's why uh, we founded Stonewall and, and why you work, uh, as you do, in and out of Parliament. Absolutely crucial. But when heaven is reached and the rotten fruit is shaken down, and the constitutional tree just blooms and blossoms and smells sweet. Uh, homophobia will still be a virus uh, in the air. You have to believe, don't you, that every time the Pope makes a fool of himself, <laughs> <laughs> every time the Anglican Church makes a fool of himself, every time every, anybody, with the passion which they truly feel, state their case against gay people, you know that they are just suffering what we all suffer from, which is homophobia, <coughs> until we discovered that the only way to get through uh, that is to be honest and declare uh, what's in our hearts and, and in our God-given nature, perhaps, our, our simple notion that our sexuality is our own and nobody else's business. And that will <laughs> eventually win, of course, uh, and maybe even in our, t our lifetime. But uh, in the meantime, it's not just the laws that need changing, it's institutions that have to exist, like the institutions that have helped bring us here together today. And, and, and beyond them, of course, up to each individual. And that's why Section 28 had to go, because kids must be able to come out, as they more frequently do now. Uh, at an age when I scarcely realized that sex was a possibility, they are coming out to their parents, and even in one extreme case, friend of mine, when he was 14, was sat down by his mother in the kitchen. She said, I've got something to tell you, dear. You're gay. <laughs> Mothers know best. <laughs> it's lovely to be here, and I thank you for coming, and uh, uh, lots of love. Thank you. That was actor, activist, and wizard of Middle Earth, Sir Ian McKellen. He was speaking at a queer community reception celebrating the premiere of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King in Wellington, New Zealand.
Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Michael Taylor Gray and Kaylin Hardman and produced by Ryan DeShazer. You heard music by Uli Bobershausen and Howard Shore. Kim Wilson composed and performed red theme music. This way, I thanks the Yavana Foundation and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Ask us about how you can join them. Email us at info at thiswayout.org or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lisa Chappelle and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on KGNU, Denver, Boulder, Ward, Fort Collins, Colorado, Fresh FM, Nelson Tasman, Nelson, Blenheim, Eastern Golden Bay, New Zealand, WUND, North Dartmouth, Massachusetts, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned. Yeah.